a defendant was on trial for murder in Oklahoma. There was strong evidence indicating guilt, but there was no corpse. In the defense's closing statement, the lawyer, knowing that his client would probably be convicted, resorted to a trick. The lawyer said, as he looked at his watch, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I have a surprise for all of you. Within one minute, the person presumed to be dead in this case will walk into this courtroom. He then looked toward the courtroom door. The jurors, somewhat stunned, all looked on eagerly as well. A minute passed, but nothing happened. Finally, the lawyer said, Actually, I made up that previous statement. But you all looked on with anticipation. I therefore put it to you that there is reasonable doubt in this case as to whether anyone was murdered and insist that you return a verdict of not guilty. The jury clearly puzzled, retired to deliberate. A few hours later, the jury returned and pronounced the verdict of guilty. But how, asked the lawyer, you must have had some doubt. I saw all of you stare at the courtroom door. Then replied the jury foreman, Oh, we did. But the defendant didn't. (laughs) That last piece of evidence, unwittingly provided by the defendant, confirmed his guilt beyond any reasonable doubt before a jury of his peers. This morning, I want to share with you the confirmation given to Mary and given to us as well, removing any doubt regarding the goodness of God and His amazing plans for His people. And to move us in that direction, I want to get us started by reading, we're backtracking here, by reading the first four verses of Luke chapter 1. The first four verses. Luke begins, and these are some important words, he begins with these words. Words. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out for you in consecutive order, 
most excellent Theopolis, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. I wanted to start here for a very important reason. I think it may be easy for some to consider the Christmas story and the events leading up to that story as being similar to a fairy tale. Like a golden book story that begins with once upon a time. But what we have read here described in this passage is a thorough and careful and accurate and deliberate investigation conducted by a very educated and driven man named Luke. It would seem that Luke has been commissioned by a dignitary named Theopolis to do whatever he needs to do and to go wherever he needs to go to learn the real story about Jesus and His message. So Luke is on the hunt for information and evidence. He's leaving no stone unturned. He's interviewing eyewitnesses, separating fact from fiction. So for all practical purposes, this Gospel that Luke writes is a God-inspired investigative Report. That's what it is. It is a God-inspired investigative report. And so as we continue with this story, and it's a confirmed story with a real angel, real people, real places, real events, I believe at some point... In his investigation, Luke finds himself in a personal conversation with Mary. With Mary, where she unfolds to him what happened to her from the very beginning. Now, if you recall from last week, Luke learned from Mary about this surprise visit she had from the angel Gabriel, who came from heaven to Nazareth and delivered a birth announcement. Apparently, Gabriel is the angel of birth announcements. And in summary, This is what Gabriel said to her. Mary, you are favored by God. And the Lord is with you. He said that twice. Mary, you are favored by God. And the Lord is with you. You're going to be a mother. Your baby will be a boy. And you will name him Jesus. He's the Son of God. The long-awaited Messiah that you and your people have been hoping for. He's the King. The King of kings who will rule forever. And also, just so you know, your Aunt Elizabeth is having a baby too. 
And she's been pregnant for six months. This is what Luke is told in his conversation with Mary. And the conversation continues. So if you have your Bible, let's jump down to verse 39. Verse 39, and we will pick up where we left off. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. After receiving her amazing birth announcement, Mary drops everything. She drops everything and hurries off to the hill country of Judah near the vicinity of Jerusalem. I think there's a map up there. About 80 miles away to visit with Elizabeth. Now, why is Mary in such a hurry? Let's think about that for a moment. Mary has just been told something by the angel Gabriel that was unimaginable and humanly impossible. She was going to be the mother of Jesus, the Son of God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, all the while being a virgin. Yes, Mary believed. Let's not doubt that, okay? I'm going to go there. Yes, Mary believed, but... This young teenage girl, around the age of 14, is surely overwhelmed. The birth announcement she received was incredible. It's incredible. Gabriel knew this. And so he gave Mary a sign that was also incredible. Her Aunt Elizabeth, a very old woman who had been barren all of her life, was now six months pregnant. For Mary to see Elizabeth up close and personal and very pregnant, to hear her story would be confirmation of what she believed. And it would give her the encouragement that everything is going to happen just as God had planned. Elizabeth would be that one person who could confirm Mary's experience. You know, when God speaks to us, when it seems that He is doing something in our lives, maybe leading us in a particular direction, it's good to have someone we can trust who will sit down with us and listen as we share our hearts. We need people like that in our lives. All of us do. On the flip side, on the flip side, 
It's a very sober thing to be that person who is trusted to listen and who has also been given the privilege to confirm or maybe even to challenge what has been shared. It's a great responsibility to speak into the lives of other people. So be very careful. Be very careful what you say. Well, Mary makes the long journey south. And she finds the home of Zacharias and Elizabeth. So let's continue beginning with verse 41. Where Luke tells us, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Mary enters the home of Zacharias and Elizabeth. And as Mary greets this elderly couple, which would customarily include an embrace, and a conversation to catch up on what's been happening, and there's a lot that's been happening. When Mary's voice is heard, we are told the unborn baby in the womb of Elizabeth jumps for joy. The baby we will come to know as John the Baptist the forerunner to the Messiah, the greatest of all the prophets, in some respects is already prophesying about Jesus in the only way he can. He expresses emotion. He expresses the emotion of joy and does somersaults in the womb of Elizabeth. So yes, parents, you can talk to your unborn children and they can hear you. You can tell them that you love them. That you have great plans for them. That you can't wait to see them. And dad, if it's a daughter, you can tell her now she can't date. And if it's a son, no, he can't borrow a car, ever. Just get that out there right now. Anyway, we are told that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And she is given supernatural knowledge of Mary's condition. She needs no explanation. She already knows what happened and as a result she breaks out in words of praise. Mary, blessed are you among women. Not above women, but among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. So from these words, we learn that Mary has already conceived. 
and she may not even know it up to this point. And she is called blessed. Blessed. Mary is blessed among all other women because of who she bears. Her greatness comes because of the greatness of the child she carries. Elizabeth continues and asks, And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For Elizabeth, she was awestruck just to be in the presence of the mother of her Lord. Even before his birth, Jesus was already recognized as the Lord. And since we are here, I want to point something out for the sake of clarification. Okay? Elizabeth is calling Mary the mother of her Lord. Not the mother of God, as some suggest. The Bible does not teach that Mary is the mother of God. God does not have a mother. Yes, Jesus is eternally God. And yet, because He leaves heaven and comes in human form as a physical person who enters into humanity, He has a mother. And it's to be Mary. Hopefully that makes sense. Elizabeth is calling Mary the mother of her Lord. Now look at verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. This is the last mention of Elizabeth in the Bible. And it's here that Elizabeth gives her blessing to Mary because of her faith in God. Despite how incredible this was to Mary, despite how hard this is going to be to explain to others, despite the fact that her dreams and her plans would be dramatically changed, Mary believed. Mary believed. Mary is blessed because she believed God could do the unbelievable. The impossible is possible with God. And if you recall, she responded to the angel Gabriel with these words, May it be done to me according to your word. Mary didn't ask for time to think about it. She didn't wait to find peace about it. She didn't ask for all the details. Instead, she made a deliberate decision to trust in the Lord's power and in His goodness despite the difficulties that would surely lie ahead for her. Well, after hearing Elizabeth's blessing, Mary breaks out in a song. 
A song of worship that will show her humble heart towards God as well as her knowledge of God's Word. For in her song, she makes reference to over 20 Old Testament passages. So beginning with verse 46, this is the song shared with Luke. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for He has regard for the humble state of His bondslave. For behold, From this time on, all generations will count me blessed. A man went to a church with an angel as his guide. The church was filled with people. But oddly, there was no sound. The band played, but no music could be heard. The lips of the music leader moved, but no song came forth. The pastor went through the motions of preaching. But the man heard nothing. He asked the angel why. And the angel replied, This is the service as God sees it. When there is no heart in it, there is no sound. Then in the back of the sanctuary, he heard a child pray, I love you, Jesus, and I want to follow you. The angel said, Now you are hearing the only part God hears, that which comes from the heart. I shared that because of the worship given here by Mary. Notice she uses the words, my soul and my spirit, which speaks of her attitude of worship. It's internal. It's on the inside. It's from her heart. That's where true worship begins. It's from the heart, and it works its way out. I think sometimes we come here to worship. We come here to worship. And there's music, and there's singing. There's praying, there's preaching. Everything is here. Except for our hearts. Oftentimes, our hearts are elsewhere. But not here. But not here. As I was literally writing this down, I was reminded of the song by Matt Redman entitled The Heart of Worship. You know the song? A portion of it reads like this. 
I'm going to read this to you. King of endless worth. No one could express how much you deserve. Though I'm weak and poor, all I have is yours. Every single breath. I'll bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within. Through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. When it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. In the late 1990s, in Watford, England, Matt Redmond's church had a high-caliber praise band and worship team. Yet, the pastor knew the congregation had lost its way in worship. They were not producers of worship. They were merely silent consumers. Just consumers. So the pastor asked the congregation this question. When you come through the doors on a Sunday, what are you bringing as an offering to God? It was an embarrassing question for many. And at that moment, the pastor did something crazy. I don't think I could do it. For a season, he stripped everything from the worship service. Everything that became a distraction. No powerful praise band. No amplified sound system. No eye-catching multimedia productions. And no music leader. Stripped it all. At first, people didn't know what to do. There was just silence in the sanctuary. But eventually, eventually, people in the congregation broke out into a cappella songs and heartfelt prayer. They began to worship God in a fresh way from their hearts. And through that experience, Matt Redman wrote that song. Worship comes from the heart. That's where it has to start. And just as Matt Redman wrote, it has to be about Jesus, for He is worthy of our praise. And our worship. He is our Lord. And He is our Savior. And if you look at verse 47 up there, you will notice that Mary recognizes her own need for a Savior. Contrary again to what some may teach, Mary was not sinless. 
Yes, she was a virgin who conceived by the Holy Spirit, but nowhere in the Bible does it say that she was sinless. Nowhere. Mary needed a Savior just like you and me. She believed that. But what, she, but what she couldn't believe is that God would actually choose her. She had a difficult time believing that. That God would choose her a person of low status. A person of humble means. In her eyes, and in the eyes of others, she's no one special. Yes, yes, she carries the Lord. But she's a teenage girl engaged to a poor village carpenter from an insignificant backwoods town. That's all. That's all. And yet, she is to be blessed by carrying the Messiah. Mary was humble. And true worship is born of a humble heart before God, whereas pride stands in the way because pride is consumed with one person. You. Your wants. Your dreams. Your plans, your expectations, your control, and your terms. It's all about you. And when it's all about you, how in the world can you worship Him? Worship is born out of a humble heart and it's directed towards God. He is the object of our worship. And that's exactly where Mary takes us next, beginning with verse 49. Listen to what she says. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. And holy is His name. And His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. He has done mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who were proud in their thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, His servant, in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. If you noticed several times in this passage, Mary says, He has. Do you see that? Over and over again, He has. He has. Meaning she knows this is all about God. 
This is His will. This is His amazing plan. This is what God is doing by His grace and His mercy for her. And not only for her, but Mary also includes what God will do by His grace and His mercy for others from generation to generation. And therefore, He is the object of our worship. Mary worships God for what He is doing. She worships God for what He will do in the future. And maybe more importantly, as Mary refers to Old Testament Scripture, she worships God for what He has already done in the past. And if you think about that, what God has faithfully done in the past, just as He promised, gives us the confidence and the confirmation that God will do exactly what He said He will do. And isn't that a reason for worship? As I have told you, Many times before, there may be times when you can't look forward to see where God is and to understand what He's doing in your life, but you can always look back in the rearview mirror of life, so to speak, to see where God has been all along and to see what He has done for you. You can always look back. And in some respects, in a broader scale, that's what Mary has done in her song. She's looked back in the rearview mirror. Now that brings us to our last verse. Verse 56, where Luke tells us, And Mary stayed with her, about three months, and then returned to her home. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months until John was born. And then she returned home to the town of Nazareth, and by then it was clear that Mary was pregnant. And no doubt, her troubles begin. The rest of the town did not get a visit from the angel Gabriel. They're clueless. And so Mary will have to endure the whispers and the gossip and the false accusations. But as difficult as it must have been, there was a confirmation in her heart, in her heart, that God is good. God is good. And He had an amazing plan for her. God is good. And He has a plan for you and me. And the confirmed truth, the blunt truth, is this. God owes us nothing. And we owe Him everything. Remember that. Take it to heart. Take it to heart. And then worship Him. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for this time in Your Word. 
looking at praise from Elizabeth and a song of worship from Mary. I thank You, Lord, for confirming in us Your truce. Even in a song. I thank You that You're faithful. I thank You that You're good. I thank You that we can trust You no matter what. Father, may You be honored and glorified. I pray, Lord, that Jesus would be lifted up. For He is worthy of our worship. Thank You, Lord, for who You are and what You have done. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want to say a couple things, if that's all right. If worship is only done here, if it's only done for an hour on Sunday, if worship is confined to here, something's wrong. Something is wrong. Because if that's the case, and, and I fear that is the case for some, then worship is, is, is no more than this, which is crumbled up and left on your chair. It's just like a bulletin. We should be in an attitude of worship at all times. God is good. Yes, He is good on Sunday. You know what? He's also good on Monday. Tuesday is questionable. I think He's good on Tuesday too. Maybe Wednesday and Thursday. Definitely Friday. I'm guessing Saturday too. You get my point? If worship of God is nothing more than just coming here, then it's just like, then it's just this. That's it. And then you will walk out the door and you go back to the way you want to live. That's sad, isn't it? That's sad. And let me confess something to you as well. I wasn't sure I was going to do this. Sometimes I come here on a Sunday. I mean, ultimately, I am the worship leader, right? What we do here from beginning to end is is worship. It's supposed to be worship. Whether it's in song or it's in preaching, whether it's in prayer, it's in giving. Right? I, I, I am the worship leader. But sometimes I come here on a Sunday and I'm so focused on making sure that I, I deliver my message, that I enunciate the Greek words if I happen to use one, that I'm so careful, Bob, are you speaking too slow? Are you speaking too fast? I'm so focused on other things. And I'm not saying those things are not, are not important because I want to deliver a good, a good message. But I can get so focused. This is, I'm your pastor. I'm your worship leader. I can get so focused on this stuff 
Did I miss why I'm here? I miss who I'm talking about. And if I'm doing that, what about you? I'm being honest. I'm being honest with you. I fear sometimes, you know, on the way to church, nothing but arguing in the car for some of you. Just arguing. And then when you leave church, you'll just pick up where you left off and argue again. Am I right? I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. You're my brothers and sisters. We have to get to that place where, Lord, you are my everything. You are my everything. And I love, you know, we're talking about John the Baptist this morning. I love what he said in John chapter 3. He says something that I use in, I use in a prayer. And he told his disciples this. Probably talking to Andrew and the other John. Jesus has to increase. And I have to decrease. On a Sunday, on a Monday, on a Tuesday, right? You get my point. You get my point. I just don't want worship to be about this. It's got to be this and everything else outside of this room. That's what I'm asking for you. I'm, glo- I'm so glad you were here this morning. We're talking about Jesus. And maybe you do not know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. You've heard about Him. You might even come to church. But your heart's telling you you don't know Him. I would love to tell you about Him. Give me opportunity. Maybe you're looking for a church home. Let me know. Just let me know. I'd love to talk with you about that. Or maybe you just need prayer. There's something going on. You just need prayer. Whether it be here or meet me in the kitchen. doesn't matter to me. But as Larry leads us and as, I, as I'm up here, however the, however the Lord just moves you, Just respond to Him in obedience. Just follow His lead. Larry?